0: Good morning, Catalyst Church. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, is where we'll be this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. As churches across the country and even in our region begin to think about the day that we can gather together again, and I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to standing in the hallway and talking to you and giving you probably a a fist bump at this point, right? Not shaking hands quite yet. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to being in the room with you. As churches, though, think about that day and make plans towards that day, I think that it's important that we remember that our, our experience of uh, relational isolation and relational distance is not going to be overcome or satisfied merely by being in the same room. Our experience of feeling distanced from other people is not satisfied simply by getting in the same room together. Many of us have the haunting experience and and, um, we've experienced this feeling of being lonely in a crowded room. I wonder if you've ever been there. I wonder if you've ever been lonely in a crowded room. You were surrounded by people, but for whatever reason, the circumstances or the people in the room or whatever the case may be, you felt in that, in the middle of that crowded room, you felt all alone. The sad reality is that for many people, church is that way. A full and crowded church building can be a terribly lonely place. A full church sanctuary can be an isolating church and maybe uh, an isolating experience. And and maybe you, um, you, over the course of your life, maybe you're watching this video and at some point in your life, you left the church precisely because of this reason. You felt isolated by the church and so you sought isolation from the church. I wonder if that's you. If you've experienced that kind of loneliness or that kind of isolation, maybe it's in a church, maybe it's something else, but I want to talk to you this morning about the Christian pursuit of unity. In the midst of a life in in which many of us can feel all alone, or even if we're in a crowded room, what does it look like? Paul tells us to pursue unity. Now, if you've been isolated by the church, I want you to hear kindness this morning and I want you to hear the Lord Jesus welcoming you and calling you back as a shepherd calls back a lost sheep. If you've, in this season of isolation, if you feel like you've drifted into uh, relational distance, maybe you didn't, you weren't forced there. Maybe you didn't feel isolated from the church, but you've just felt kind of like you've been drifting there. I want you to hear the Lord Jesus this morning saying to you, pursue, pursue unity, pursue that uh, community with other people. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for the church. And he prayed specifically that the church would experience unity. Now, Jesus didn't mean in that prayer that we would merely be in the same room together. Now, being in the same room together is important. The physical gathering of uh, a local church body is a critical part of their expression of unity. But it's not the sum total of our unity, Right, We are still united, Catalyst Church, even though we're not able to physically gather, we are still very much united. We are united in Christ. We are united in our common confession. We are united in our hope of heaven, and we are united in our commitment to each other. So uh, a physical gathering of a local church is a key part of their unity, but it is not the sum, sum total of their unity. So as Jesus prayed for the church to have unity in John 17, he prayed that the church would be one just as he and the father were one unity in the new Testament is rooted in the old Testament. And we can reach as far back to Deuteronomy chapter six. And we read this confessional statement that they used to make. And they used to say, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. So unity is not just a matter of pragmatism for the Christian. We don't pursue unity simply because we can get more done together than we can apart. We pursue unity as a reflection of who we believe God to be. God is one. He is not at war with himself. His attributes are never in conflict. He He is always unified. And so we, as his people, we pursue that kind of unity, which means unity is not an accidental byproduct for the Christian. It's not something that we merely complain about when we feel like we don't have it, when we feel like we're on the outs. No, unity is something that every maturing Christian pursues with intentionality. It's an intentional joy for which Christians should strive. You see, for a maturing Christian, church unity is not optional. It's not an add-on to the Christian life. It's a key component. The psalmist says in Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. That's the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul in our text this morning. He wants us to dwell in unity, even at a distance, even in a season of social isolation. Maybe, we might say, especially in a season like this. So I want to read our text, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and we're going to see four reasons the Apostle Paul gives us to pursue unity. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. So, the Apostle Paul tells us, first of all, that we should pursue unity as a matter of joy. Did you hear what he said? He said, Complete my joy. Paul is is saying to them that their unity in Philippi mattered to his heart in Rome. As Paul wrote these words, he was in a Roman prison. And he says, how you conduct yourselves there in Philippi matters to my heart in Rome. Paul is revealing his pastoral heart here. And I, I love this as a pastor. I love how Paul does this. He's saying, even at a distance, the shepherd's heart beats for his sheep. Catalyst, I want you to know that even at a distance, my heart beats for you. I'm praying for you. I'm pleading that God would continue to work in you. I'm encouraged by you. And so just as Paul said to the Philippians, so I say to you, complete my joy by pursuing church unity. Complete my joy by pursuing church unity. And I want you to know that you're doing this. I'm so encouraged by your example and your stories of success. Just yesterday, I got a text message in the morning from one member that said, Hey, just wanted you to know. I reached out to this other member and uh, encouraged them. And then later on in the day, I was on a Zoom call with another member who said, Hey, I want you to know that my wife has jumped onto a Zoom call and started a Bible study with a, a number of other uh, Catalyst members. I'm Encouraged by these stories that I hear of how we are pursuing church unity, even in a season of social distance. And so I say to you, keep it up. Keep it up. Paul is seizing this pastoral moment in this letter. And I want to seize this pastoral moment in this season when I say to you, complete my joy. Know that I'm praying for you. In Hebrews chapter 13, the Bible tells me that one day I'll stand before God and give an account for you. I'll give an account for you if you're a member of Catalyst Church, if you're connected to Catalyst Church, if you're under kind of the, the shepherding umbrella of Catalyst. The Bible says I'll give an account, account for you. I, I don't take that lightly. And so I say to you in, this, in the midst of this season of social isolation, complete my joy by pursuing church unity. Pursuing church unity. It is impossible, Paul seems to suggest, for a good shepherd to be unaffected by the condition of his sheep. It's impossible for a good shepherd to be unaffected by the condition of his sheep. And so that's what we're working out here. Paul says we ought to pursue unity as a matter of joy, as a matter of joy. Yes, for those in pastoral authority over us and for each other. I recently did a funeral. I had to do it via Zoom because we couldn't gather together. And so I recorded a message for this family to help them remember their loved one well. And as I talked to one of the family members, she shared the story and she said, you know what, if, if our loved one could be with us and speak to us right now, I, I think she would simply say, I want you to love one another. Well, That sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? He says to his disciples, I want you to love one another. And so Paul says to us, pursue unity as a matter of joy. Secondly, Paul says, pursue unity over uniformity. Pursue unity over uniformity. Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He makes it clear that the unity he's calling them to is not merely a matter of having the same preferences or taste in music or movies or political uh, ideologies. He's not talking about things like um, uh, clothing or things like that. Look at the phrases that he uses. He's he's kind of heaping phrase after phrase to build his case. Same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. Now, Paul is not squashing individuality or creative expression or uh, diversity. He's not calling us to be echoes of each other. He's calling us to be imitators of Christ. He's calling us to be imitators of Christ. With all of our individual passions and personalities, we are to be in full accord all seeking unity. Walter Henson explains it this way in his commentary on Philippians. Paul means that the dominant attitude and settled disposition of the entire person would be involved in the pursuit of unity. Paul means that the dominant attitude and the settled disposition of the entire person would be involved in the pursuit of unity. So is that you? Is that you, is your dominant attitude when it comes to the church, let me actively pursue unity or is it passive and saying, well, I can't wait until we get back together, uh, 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 to, uh, get back together again. But until then, nah, I'll just kind of wait it out. No, pursue unity. Is your settled disposition to pursue unity? And is it, is it such in your entire person? One theologian said that the church ought to be like an orchestra that that where we're all tuned to the same tuning fork, right? Who's the tuning? Christ is the tuning fork, and so we are pursuing unity so that we can play in the orchestra together. Not necessarily all playing the same instrument, but playing in tune with the same tuning fork. So, friends, is that you? Are you pursuing unity with other believers? How have you expressed that and reached out and cared for other believers in uh, this season? I'm so encouraged by Catalyst Church as I get uh, reports of text messages and Zoom calls and Bible studies and um, our military wives group and some of the other uh, groups that are just checking in. I am so deeply encouraged as we pursue unity over uniformity. Thirdly, Paul says we ought to pursue unity with humility. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now, next week, Lord willing, we'll look at verses five through 11 and we'll see how Paul kind of carries this out. And he says, do this because this is how Christ treated you. But do you hear the key part and place of humility in Christian unity. There is no Christian unity without humility. It's not possible. A mark of Christian maturity is realizing it's not all about me. Now, I know for some of us, this is kind of bursting our bubble. So let me prepare you and I'm gonna tell you again, okay, I'm gonna burst your bubble. Okay, you ready? Here we go. It's not all about you. Now, don't look at somebody else in the room when I'm saying this. You're like, yeah, I hope they get, no, I'm talking to you. It's not all about you. If you're anything like me, and you are, you struggle to remember this. You struggle to remember this. So Paul says to you, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Now, the Christian life is not the life in which selfishness and uh, selfish ambition and conceit are absent. The Christian life is the life in which those things are repented of. So our goal is not to pretend like we don't have them. Our goal is to repent when we find them in ourselves and to replace that with a fresh resolve to, what does he say in verse four, look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. If you're wondering how you're doing here, uh, let me ask you to kind of do this mental exercise. Think of somebody other than yourself. Just think of them. It might be somebody in the room. It might be the person you're sitting on the couch next to. It might be a child or or a friend or a neighbor. Think of somebody other than yourself. And then ask this question. What is occupying them right now? I mean, what is taking up mental real estate? What is weighing on their emotional uh, shoulders right now? What are they thinking about? What are they worried about? What are their pressing interests Paul says, look, not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Are you aware of the interests of others? How often do you think about others? Paul says we must pursue unity with humility. So I wonder what would it look like for you to pick up your phone and text a couple of people and say, hey, I want to be praying for you this week. How can I be praying for you? Tim Keller said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself, not getting down on yourself and thinking, oh, I'm nothing. It's thinking of yourself less. One of the most helpful little books that I've come across on this subject is by Tim Keller, and it is called The Art of Self-Forgetfulness. It's about 40 pages, a little, little booklet, and he talks about how to walk through the, the Christian life and all of life, not thinking of our own interests, but thinking to the interests of others. There is no unity in the Christian life without Humility. And so, friends, let's pursue unity with humility. Fourthly and finally, we should pursue unity because of Jesus. We should pursue unity because of Jesus. Did you hear how Paul opened up this passage in verse 1? If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. And then he goes on to say, pursue church unity. Now, he begins with that word, if. We often use that word, if, to describe uh, sort of an uncertainty or maybe a hopeful optimism. Well, if this works out, then we'll go do that. And if things work out in our favor, then we'll go experience that. But that's not what Paul meant. Paul meant because these things are certain and because you have experienced them, now so live in light of them. When Paul said, if there is any encouragement in Christ, he didn't seem to suggest, well, maybe there is and maybe there isn't. And ah, who knows? But if there is, no, Paul is saying because there is, because you have experienced it. Do you hear how Paul is kind of building up the heartbeat of God in the gospel in this passage? I love it. Listen to some of the phrases. The encouragement that we have in Christ, the comfort that we have in love, the participation that we have in the spirit, and the affection and the sympathy that we find in the gospel. With every phrase, Paul is reminding us that God is binding you together with the cords of love. God is binding you together with the cords of love. Christian, do you realize that in the Christian life, at least in the biblical sense, it's never just you and God. It's always God and his people. one, uh, One theologian said that when you sit down at a dinner table with God, it's not a table for two. It's a banquet table filled with brothers and sisters We are all eating at the same family table and none of us earned our seat there. We have all been adopted in by Christ. Do you realize that? That there's nobody who's a Christian because they deserved it. There's nobody. When we gather back together as a church and we're all in that same room together, there will be nobody there because they deserve to be there. We're there because we need it. We're there because God in his kindness has redeemed us in Christ. We'll often put it this way at Catalyst Church. We don't want to tell you all of the things that you have to do to get to God. We want to help you marvel at what God has done in Christ to get to you. This is the gospel. That Christ died for your sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and on the third day rose again in accordance with the scriptures. And if you would turn from your self-righteousness and turn to Christ as your hope of heaven and as your source of righteousness, then this is your seat as well. You are welcomed in to the family of God. So let me just ask you, have you experienced that encouragement that is in Christ Have you experienced the comfort of Christian love? Have you experienced the participation of the Holy Spirit who makes Christ known to us? Anytime you think of or confess Christ as your Savior, that's the Holy Spirit at work in you. Have you experienced the affection and sympathy of Jesus for you? You can Come to him. Even this morning, you come to him. As you sit there on your couch or in your chair or wherever it is that you're watching this, you can come to Christ. You simply say to him, here I am. Here I am with all of my sin, with all of my faults, with all of my failures, and I'm coming, Jesus, to you. And I'm asking for your forgiveness. I'm asking for your healing. And do you know, you know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us that no one who comes to Jesus will in any way be turned away. Nobody. Nobody who comes to Jesus will in any way be turned away. And the whole of the Bible and all of church history looks at you and says, his grace is sufficient. You can trust him to be your savior. So for some of you, this morning, you need to pursue unity with Christ. For some of you, you need to pursue unity with the church through baptism. You need to follow Jesus in believers' baptism. Baptism was the the symbol of unity in the New Testament church, in the early church. So perhaps for some of you, God is saying to you, okay, let's take the next step of obedience. Let's pursue believers' baptism. What a testimony that could be to so many people who are watching you walk with Christ. This week in uh, throughout my conversations with Catalyst Church, I've heard of God's work in saving a young child as she was reading the Jesus Storybook Bible with her grandparents, and I've heard the report of God's miraculous work in an old man. From young children to old men, God is at work. So what about you? Friends, if God is at work in your life and you're trying to process this and think about it, I wanna process it with you. Don't walk through this alone. I want you to email me and we're gonna put my email address up on the screen so that you can see it. Jeff at catalyst-church.org. Jeff at catalyst-church.org. Email me if you're watching this as a family and you're being encouraged from a distance. Email me, let me know. We wanna celebrate what God is doing in your life with you. Well, Catalyst Church, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and on the third day rose again in accordance with the scriptures, that we can have hope of heaven, even in the midst of an uncertain season, not because we've got it all together, but because of what Christ has done for us. So I pray that even now you might work in the hearts of people who hear this message. Help us, God, to pursue unity, even in the midst of this season. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Catalyst, there is a lot going on in the life of Catalyst Church, so I want to encourage you to make sure you like our Facebook page. Uh, Follow that so that you can stay updated about what is going on in the life of Catalyst Church. Well, having opened up our Bibles and having marveled at Jesus, Catalyst Church, you are not dismissed. You are sent. God bless you.